BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, July 15th, 2022. Uh, here is the headline in today's Sun-Times, home delivered as always. Thank you, beloved bright one. Uh, my distinguished guest going to have to laugh at this one. The unfriendly confines. Fed sues Cubs for allegedly making Wrigley Field less successful for fans in wheelchair. Uh, I am a lifelong Cubs fan who just finally could take no more of the Ricketts regime and just quit cold turkey. I will no longer root for the Cubs as long as they're owned by this family. And just when I thought it couldn't get worse, comes a story in the Sun-Times about a lawsuit filed about uh, failing to... Make good on the on their pledge to uh, make their uh, stadium accessible uh, to people in wheelchairs. Unbelievable. Uh, well, you know, it's just an allegation, so they'll have their time in court. But Unbelievable. And yet, of course, it is believable. Uh, I'm not asking a distinguished guest to introduce herself. And I will not hold her accountable for the behavior of the Chicago Cubs, even if she remains a Chicago Cubs fan. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a board member, editorial board member at the Chicago Sun-Times and a columnist as well. Yes. And a Cubs fan. Yeah. I was going to say that um, Mick, I was having a hard time coming up with a, with a topic for my column this week. <laughs> and uh, Mick suggested that I do a story about being a Cub fan with the Ricketts in charge. And I'm like, yeah, I already did that a few years back. <laughs> so... Yeah, but it got worse. I know. Been there, done that. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, uh, as one old timer giving uh, a new timer uh, on the column beat, uh, a little advice that you're free to ignore. Hey, man, sometimes you got to go back to them because uh, they're not always easy to write. And then, by the way, if there's no resolution, I mean, you owe it to your readers. One could argue, you know, if the Cubs are actually worse today than they were when you wrote that. And I remember the column that you wrote. It was a great column. Uh if the Cubs are worse, uh, this is my way of saying, can 
Come on, write that column. Uh, all right, Ramada, there's so much news that's horrific uh, today. We're going to talk about um, two fronts. One is just so twisted and weird on top of everything, and that is uh, uh, the abortion fight and as it's playing out. Uh, and uh, the other one, of course, is uh, guns, the proliferation of guns, the obsession that, uh, that MAGA has with guns so that they resist any attempt to make any kind of meaningful uh, gun legislation. And so we're in a situation where people are largely free to buy as much weaponry as they want and then just uh, they go around and shoot each other. It's absolutely twisted. It should be unacceptable. And yet, Romana, we deal with it all the time. I guess we'll start with guns because I'm here right now. Uh, you wrote uh, some really uh, powerful editorials, uh, and so did uh, your other colleagues, I must say. The Sun-Times, I'm going to give a shout-out to the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board. Uh, you really came through, in my humble opinion, in the aftermath of Highland Park, uh, the shootings in Highland Park, uh, where uh, seven people were gunned down uh, by a 21-year-old uh, who just, easy as pie, uh, bought an assault rifle and went up to the top of a roof overlooking downtown Highland Park during the 4th of July parade and just started gunning people down. Uh, I will now read to you, uh, Ramana. Uh, this is Ramana Hussein writing this uh, in an editorial, and uh, I was cheering when I read it. Uh, Republican lawmakers often decry fatherlessness and the breakdown of family, fam family values, yet they recoil at the thought of enacting common sense gun re regulations. These misguided leaders need a reminder that with each shooting, someone's family is demoralized or destroyed. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're getting at, that contrast between family values uh, and looking the other way as families are killed. Yeah, um, I, that's something that I noticed time and time again with Republicans. So when I wrote that editorial, I think about the Republicans who always talk about, you know, oh, nobody has any family values anymore. No, you know, they're always hearkening back to the good old days. And then I'm, you know, sitting here reading about this young child who had both of his parents killed in the Highland Park shooting. Then there was this other boy that... Um, was a twin is a twin boy and he gets it he, he and his younger brother and his mom all get injured but this one child is paralyzed from the waist down and there's still stories you know even today just an update he's still in critical condition he's hanging on to his life and he's an eight-year-old boy his mom got shot his brother um you know had a shrapnel wound to his leg and I have twin nieces who are eight years old. So they're, or they're actually 10 years old, I should say. They're, um, they're almost close in age to these young boys. And I know how close twins are. You know, they're closer, you know, I'm close to my siblings, but twins have like a special bond. So I understand the relationship that twins have. So I'm thinking here is a little boy who gets shot and is, is, is gonna, his whole life has changed. And meanwhile, his brother is going to be okay, but he has to watch his twin brother for the rest of his life live completely different than his own life. And they probably were inseparable, knowing how twins are. And then to have this mom, you know, get shot herself, and meanwhile, having to deal with her child being severely injured. So it's like you have this family that's trying to cope. And this is just one of the families that was shot. I mean, 
there was like tons, there was like dozens and dozens of people who were shot that day. I think it's close to 40 or 50. And, you know, we know so far seven people died and each of those seven people who died, their families have been affected. And, you know, we, we haven't even scratched the surface of people who are injured and how that's affected their lives because injuries last a long time too. You know, you have post-traumatic stress disorder and then, you know, the physical injuries. And as we know, you know, just reading and being reporters, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. This happens all the time, you know, in a city like Chicago, a lot of people are pointing out that, you know, this happened in Highland Park. It's so, you know, wealthier suburb, but, you know, this happens all the time in Chicago. And, and that is true. But all these families, whether you know you're affluent or you're not affluent, they're all affected. So when Republicans talk about, you know, family values, I'm like, you're the one that's destroying families. And, you know, basically because you don't want to enact common sense gun laws, you're taking fathers away from, you know, their families. You're taking mothers away from their families. You're taking children away from their families. And, and I can't imagine the devastation the emotional toll it takes to lose a family member in this way um, when this could be easily prevented if weapons weren't easily available, you know, especially these um, high powered, you know, ammunition, high powered um, weapons. So it's just, it's, it's just devastating. So that's what I was thinking about when I wrote the column, because I was thinking about the victims. Um, as we know, we discussed on the show, um, I grew up in Lincolnwood, which is not too far away from Highland Park. It's not like, you know, it's not kitty corner like Skokie and Evanston are, but I actually know a lot of people um, who used to live in the same neighborhood I did when I was a kid. A lot of people I know, a lot of, a lot of Jewish families moved to Highland Park. So I was, the, on July 4th, I don't know what you're doing, Ben, but it was my day off. I was watching the news all day. I was just terrified that I would know someone who was killed or injured in the shooting. And I do know people who have relatives and friends who were shot that day. So it, it, it just, it did hit, hit close to home. A lot of, a lot of um, events in Skokie Evanston were canceled that day on July 4th. And I remember just being at home. I was at home by that point. Some people were doing fireworks outside, but I just didn't feel like like even looking at fireworks that day, it was just, it was just so depressing. And so when I was just hear about all these different families, you know, we've also, you know, heard about grandfathers that were killed in this shooting. And it was sad. Like there was just one, two or three of the grandfathers that were killed, weren't really sure if they wanted to go to the parade, but their families kind of coaxed them to go. So, you know, some of them come from immigrant families and you destroy those families. And by allowing these guns to be out there and, it just it's just so sad and, and and this isn't something that's an anomaly we have mass shootings all the time in this country this is just i think the reason why this story got a lot of press sadly is because it was on independence day um there th this did make international news because i have a friend um whose parents live in london and you know they they called making sure she was fine so that's the only reason i think that it captured you know, national and international interest is because it happened on our independence day. They're like, and then there was a shooting that same day at the fireworks in Philadelphia, I think, um, you know, elsewhere. So this is a very American thing and it's happening all the time. And to show, just to show you that this can happen anywhere and at a parade and we're coming out about, you know, the pandemic is still here, but this is, I think the first time that they've had this parade in two years. So I was thinking of the, about, about the little boy when I wrote, this editorial, 
he's about two and a half years old. He was probably born right before the, the pe- pandemic, you know, the stay at home orders took place. So, you know, his life has been kind of sheltering in place with his parents. And then he goes out, you know, his parents probably take him out for the, one of the first times at, you know, the Highland Park parade, which was not happening the first two years and they both die. So it's just a sad reality that we live in. And I, I think it's very sad that, you know, so many people have to go through it. So that's what I was thinking about when I was writing this editorial, I was thinking about the lawmakers who refused to, who refuse to budge when it comes to gun control. And I guess gun control is not a popular word anymore, but gun regulation. They don't, they don't want to, they don't want to enact any sort of gun regulation because they love the second amendment too much more than they love family, family values, which I don't think they should be talking about if they're not going to enact common sense gun regulations. Let's just pause to think about that. I've been chided uh, by gun uh, control advocates I remember the first time I was chided by it. Um, it was uh, years ago, and I was uh, had a guest on the show, and we were talking about gun control, how we needed gun control. I forget which shooting it was after. It could have been Parkland. I mean, uh, I, it's hard to keep up. And um, at a break, uh, the person who was my guest, I can't remember who it was, advised me, uh, Ben, don't say gun control. We're, That's we're what I was away. told. Yeah, That's we're what moving I was told. away from gun control. And I, I'm like... Wow, this is just uh, this is just like where's George Carlin when I need him? You know what I'm saying? Like they think that if you switch the name from gun control to gun safety, you're going to break through MAGA. I mean, I don't even know how to deal with it. It's I guess it's just I can't, I don't I can't get really mad at at the people who are really fi- fighting on the front lines to enact some kind of sensible gun regulations. You know, it's, uh, but the world we live in is so bizarre. We're told that not to be snowflakes, not to be politically correct, allow say whatever you want, and yet suddenly we're being told that if we say gun control, it's offending some MAGA person and makes them so hurt that they will resist that much stronger. Ramana, help me with this. I it's so much of the world is painful, but there's so much that is utterly absurd. I can't make sense of it. Um, I actually agree with you. I was I didn't even know gun control was a bad word or that it's not very popular anymore, that it doesn't work saying that. And I find the word gun control or the words gun control pretty benign. But I've heard from other people that, oh, you just don't use that terminology anymore because it doesn't work. But I feel like with a certain group of people, it doesn't matter what terminology you use. They're against it. I mean, I've also been told that you know, critical race theory is not the right verbiage to use. But I'm like, well, if you say something like, well, let's learn about history, you know, real history, people are going to fire back at that too. I mean, this group of people doesn't care what you say. They're just going to be against it, you know? So I, I don't, I've been told also not to use the word gun control because it's not popular and it doesn't work. But I don't know what will work. You know, if you say gun regulation, is that going to work? It certainly hasn't worked in all these years. So no, I'm with you. I don't, I I agree, but I've been told that you can't, you shouldn't use the word gun control because it's not effective, but I feel like people who don't want to make a change, it doesn't matter what you say to them because they're going to be offended by anything like critical race theory. Like that doesn't really sound that offensive to me, but apparently that scares, I've been told it scares white people and, and we have to use some other terminology. And I'm like, 
well, a lot of other things scare me. Guns scare me. You know, it's like, you know, why, why, maybe I don't like guns. Maybe I don't like certain white people. You know what I mean? They scare me too. And so it's like, it's like, we're always trying to bend over backwards for this group, you know, because they don't know how to handle anything. And then they call the rest of us slow snowflakes. And so I don't get it. I, I personally don't get it either. I'm trying to be sensitive and trying to be do the right thing if that works to use the word gun regulation i'll use the word gun regulation but i don't know if it works so i understand what you're saying ben because i was told that too because i've been using gun control up until a few weeks ago and i was told that i shouldn't use say gun control because it's not very effective and people say now you should say gun regulation yeah uh or i was told gun safety that's what i was told i was told to from the here on out use the word gun safety uh, and, um, I, I don't know. I did. First of all, that sounded like a contradiction in terms, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, making a high powered assault rifle safe. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and I admit like, I wasn't, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm not, I grew up in a fairly like, you know, I guess I want to use the word safe because I think shootings can happen anywhere at any time, but you know, I grew up in a, place where I didn't have to worry too much about my safety. So it's easy for me to say, I don't get why anybody would want a gun. And I didn't grow up in rural America. So I don't really, I don't really ever had the desire to want a gun, you know, so, or understood gun culture. You know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why you need to have a collection of guns. And that's something I'm never going to get, but I, I guess people can argue with me about, you know, not knowing about gun culture, but I don't know why anybody would need an assault rifle or a gun, a high powered rifle where you can like shoot 80 rounds in just a few minutes. It, it's, it's absurd to me. Like, why would you need something like that? I just, you know, I, I'm always going to be confused about that. And then, you know, we also know in this Highland, you know, the shooting suspect's father signed off on the his son's void card you know because the the young man the suspect was a minor when he applied for the foid card and um i'm just saying like you know it's clear that this young man had a lot of troubles and he had um you know threatened to shoot quote everyone um just three or four months before he was given this void card and i'm thinking to myself like I didn't have like many problems growing up, but if at 19, if I came up to my dad and told him I wanted to get a Floyd card, he wouldn't give me, he would never sign off on one. So there's just a lot of questions I feel. And like I said, I don't understand gun culture and I don't know why anybody would want a gun. I just don't get why any parent would sign off on something like that, especially when they know that their child is in trouble. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that is a very good point, and uh, that that's just one element that'll play out. You talked about the issue of being feeling safe, uh, and you uh, unlodged a memory uh, that has uh, hadn't thought about in a while. Many many years ago, back in the eighties, I remember I wrote a column for the reader. I was writing columns in the eighties. <laughs> uh, I'm old, Romana. Anyway, I wrote a column for the reader about resistance in uh, I think it was Winnetka to uh, it may have been Wilmette, one or the other, and. Sorry, I apologize to Winnetka and Winnetka and Wilmette if I can't remember which one it was. Uh, it, but there was resistance to a proposal that would allow a group home uh, in whichever suburb it was. And so it was a group home for kids uh, who uh, 
were not sufficiently capable of surviving on their own. I think they were like 16 or 17, so they would live in this group setting and have jobs and what have you. It seemed relatively benign, but there was resistance uh, to it, and there was a big zoning fight. I can't remember how it worked out. But the point is, I remember doing an interview with uh, one of the uh, residents of Winnetka or Wilmette, again, I apologize, uh, and she said that she used to live in Uptown, uh, and she remembers that there was uh, violence in Uptown and gunshots in Uptown, etc. But she moved to Winnetka or Wilmette to get away from that. And it's okay to have uh, diversity in Uptown, but not here in Wilmette and Winnetka because people came here to be safe. And I got to tell you, Ramana, that has res- that resonated with me. I thought about that. I'm like, what in the world are you actually saying? When you say that, do you follow what I'm saying? Like there's some areas uh, that are supposed to be safe and we're paying for the right to be safe. And so we expect to be safe uh, and we'll only let certain people in because that will guarantee that they're safe. Uh, But these other areas won't be safe. And so the way we're going to be safe is to keep the people who belong in the other areas out of where we live. And there's just so much like tripped up there and unexamined bigotry and prejudice. You know what I'm saying, Ramon? I'm not trying to be political correct. I'm just trying to get people to think about what they're saying when they say it and what they really mean. And now, all of a sudden, a guy who born and raised, I guess, in Highland Park goes up into a a rooftop and guns down his neighbors. It's Try to help yeah. me make sense out of that, Ramon. No, I, I, th- I think you made a, I think you made a really good point about that because that's something I've been thinking as well. I mean, I think it's natural for people to want to move to places, you know, with their families where they can feel, you know, quote unquote safe, right? I mean, I, I do, I, I understand that urge because, you know, I don't want, you know, certain family members of mine being in places where, you know where there is like, you know, more of a chance of danger. But I also think that anything can happen anywhere, right? And so one of the things I've been noticing the last few years, like even people I, I, I went to high school with, you know, they, they kind of gone into this like, you know, phraseology where they're like, oh, Chicago is becoming so terrible. You can't even go to Chicago anymore. And this is why I live here. And this is why I moved out here when you have to deal with this. And, you know, people saying stuff like, you know, I've seen people's, you know, not necessarily my friends, but people saying, this is why I'm going to move to Indiana. We're going to have to worry about gun violence. And, you know, I've also seen people who live in the North Shore who say the same thing. And then, and then this happens in their own community. And it wasn't someone, you know, from the big old bad city who did this. This is somebody from the community. The mayor, in fact, of Highland Park um, had this young man as one of the members of a Boy Scout troop when, you know, he was younger. So this is a problem, you know, gun violence isn't just a problem. You know, a lot of people always say, oh, it's a Chicago problem. And that was another thing I saw, like on Twitter, a lot of people just saying, oh, of course, this is an example of violence in Chicago. And everybody has to point out that Highland Park is not Chicago. It's not even in Cook County. It's in Lake County. And, you know, it just shows you how, you know, the prejudice that we hear and the dog whistles that we hear with Chicago it's like something happens like, you know, miles away. And then I'm sure if something, you know what I mean? It's just like everybody wants to conflate everything with Chicago and, and violence. But I, 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 I did see, you know, that I think that was like a good point that people saw that this is a problem. You know, mental health issues, you know, gun violence is a problem in all communities. It's not just in, in the city. 
it's not just in certain neighborhoods and it's not just su- certain suburbs. I mean, this is Highland, you know, like some people are, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is Highland Park. This is where Risky Business was filmed. And, you know, wow, you know, this, you should think about it. And I'm like, well, it's like a no brainer. This can happen anywhere. And that's one thing I always tell, you know, I always tell people who don't pay attention to the news that much. It's like, this can happen anywhere. And it has been happening everywhere. I mean, we're seeing shootings in schools and movie theaters and houses of worship, you know, all public places. So that's one thing that people do have to keep in mind when, you know, they look at who they vote for and how they feel about gun control, or I should say gun regulation, gun safety. So no, I th- I think that's a very good point. I think it's a very good point. And it's something we should all think about when we talk about, you know, safety and gun violence in our neighborhoods. No, uh, we're uh, the notion that you could somehow or other uh, settle a dispute or solve a problem or uh, appease whatever demons are in your head by taking a gun, which are readily available, and shooting somebody uh, is a quintessentially American idea right now. And it's at play in every city, suburb, state in this country. Uh, and I agree with your editorial. The uh, really the only way to immediately address it uh, is to make it more difficult to get a hold of a gun. And uh, it's going to be really hard to get rid of like the 300 million or how many millions are already in existence. But if you draw a line, uh, to me, the the fastest way to draw a line is to hold the gun manufacturers uh, legally responsible for the carnage their weapons cause, cause. That would be, to me, the most obvious step to take. But until we, um, take a stand on this issue, Ramana, I fear it'll just continue because that's where we're at right now. No, I agree. I agree. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem that we're going to have for a while. And I don't know when, you know, like I've always said that if the shooting in Sandy Hook where little children, little white children, you know, were killed and nobody did anything, that was almost 10 years ago, wasn't it? Or 10 years ago? If nothing, if, if nothing happened there, then, you know, cause people, a lot, I saw a lot of people say, oh, maybe people will t- pay attention because it happened in Highland Park. I'm like, listen, they didn't care when it happened in Sandy Hook where there was little kids dying. You know what I mean? And they're not going to care if it happened in Highland Park. I don't, I, I mean, I hope it does. I hope it makes some change, but I don't, I, I, I'm not holding my breath, I guess I should say that. No, it, 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 there's so much at stake that made it, uh, stand out and this is when you you started with this and we'll close with this the setting it was a fourth of july parade a parade paying tribute uh to the birth of the united states the rebellion against the brits our independence i mean that's something that presumably maga would uh treasure as well uh and that's why the uh darren bailey the republican candidate for governor like such a fool uh, with his first public pronouncement where he said, uh, let's pray for the victims and let's go out and celebrate some more. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, let's just get over it. You know? Oh yeah. People died and you know, people got shot, but let's just get over it, you know, and keep having fun. It it was so tone deaf in so many ways. In so many ways, Illinois, if you elect him, you need your head examined. All right. uh, So let's move on to the abortion issue. Uh, This story, this one is so, is so, a mixture of cruel, bizarre, and insane. It's like something out of the Twilight Zone, but it also brings in journalism 
which is uh, you and I love, well, we, we have many conversations. I love, I don't know if you love, but we, we enjoy talking about journalism. Uh, and this is the story. Uh, I don't know if uh, folks have been following this one. I have been uh, about a 10 year old girl in Ohio who was raped uh, and uh, went to Indiana to get an abortion. Uh, and the story broke, I believe, in the Neapolis Star. Uh, and there was only one source, the doctor. Uh, and in the aftermath, it's such a horrific story, she couldn't get the abortion in Ohio because of their absurd uh, re, uh, anti-abortion rules and laws, uh, which uh, MAGA loves. So she went to Indiana. Let's just pause to think about that irony. Uh, Romana, she had to go to Indiana, the, the state of Mike Pence, uh, for sanity. I, I mean, the world isn't cra- is crazy. So MAGA and MAGA commentators uh, from Fox and the Wall Street Journal uh, lost their mind over the issue that there was only one source on this story. And so and they, were, they didn't believe it. They were trying to discredit the story uh, and um, make it seem as though the Indianapolis Star had made it up. Lo and behold, a man was arranged uh, in Ohio and charged with rape. And so now it's apparent that there was a rapist, there was a rape, there was a 10-year-old girl. Uh, and... Um, so now Mag is trying to f- put a spin on this, uh, because and, the uh, uh, because the accused rapist was uh, undocumented. That person, now right? they're outraged. Yeah, you know, uh, but the whole thing is deflecting from the fact that a ten-year-old girl who was raped could not get an abortion in the state of Ohio. That that is the part of the story that that MAGA doesn't want you to know about, Romana. Uh, I I've got so many things that this story puts into my head, but we'll just start with the most general with you. Uh, if, do you think that the Indianapolis Star was right to run the story? Do you yeah, think? Because, yeah, I I think so. I mean. I know a lot of people would say it's a one source story. And I understand that, you know, we've seen stories in the past where <clears throat> there's one person, you know, they have, it's a one source story. And then it turns out that it, you know, and it's rare. I mean, I don't think Ben, you've done any of these stories where you just got something without verifying certain things. And this person, you know, seemed to do their due diligence. It wasn't like it was a, it was a fake story, but I know everybody started weighing in on things and, of course, we want to tell the truth. That's part of journalism. But the fact that this person was being attacked, I mean, and then it turns out the story was true, says a lot. It's that people are using this for their own political, you know, beliefs and their own political systems. And then, of course, some people, you know, are are going on their high horse, not not like paying attention to, you know, actually listening to fellow journalists, but, you know, paying attention to what these um you know, right-wingers or right-wing um, Republicans are saying. It's like, why don't you do your homework first instead of, you know, lopping on to what these politicians are saying? And it also says a lot about, you know, what the Supreme Court ruling, um, within just a few weeks, we've had this case where a 10-year-old girl, I mean, it's sad enough and it's bad enough that she was assaulted, but she's impregnant, impregnated. And, she has to go across state state lines. First of all, it's, you know, her, to get an abortion, it's horrific enough that this happened to her. Now she has to travel 
from, you know, her like hometown or where she lives, I'm assuming to another state. And I don't know, but Ohio has been getting um, a pretty bad rap these days. I don't know if you saw a couple of days ago, they're contemplating teaching quote unquote, both sides of the Holocaust in schools. So, um, you know, you have people fighting against CR, you know, having CRT in schools, but meanwhile, there are people who want to discuss Holocaust from both sides. Um, I never knew there was a both sides in that situation. So it, it, it does, it does say a lot. I, I do think um, as reporters, we do have to be diligent. I was talking to you offline a few minutes ago about, um, you know, we, as um, someone who works on the letters to the editors, we have to take letters that people have written to the Sun-Times and we put them in the paper. Oftentimes we have a lot of people, not all the time, because we have a lot of smart people who double check their facts when they write letters to the editors. But a lot of people, when they write, aren't necessarily, you know, they look at something really quick, a new story, and then they just start writing off the top of their heads. Um, I double check names. I double check facts whenever I put down or collect letters to the editors. You have to double check everything. And I think as an editor and a reporter, we double check everything. So I'm thinking the reporter and editor from the Indianapolis Star did their due diligence. Um, I'm not saying that happens in all instances, but it seems like in this case they did. And if a reporter and editor is doing their job when the story comes out, at least for, you know, media outlets like ours, people are doing their due diligence. Does it happen all the time? No. And it, it's okay to have that, you know, skepticism because we know a lot of people are, you know, we're skeptical, skeptical, um, skeptical in nature as journalists. And, you know, we have other journalists kind of questioning, questioning what this paper puts in or what this media outlet puts in. You, you see on Twitter all the time. And I think it's good to have that um, perspective where you are being checked all the time and you are, people are raising questions. But on the other hand, you also have people who want to make facts. They want to distort facts all the time. So you have to be very careful of that. And that's something we didn't have to deal with years ago when there was social media wasn't as rampant as it was. Um, you know, people just putting misfacts out there. I mean, you could put an article out there and within minutes, somebody could put on Facebook and say that you are not, you know, factual and um, don't, don't know what the truth is. And then, you know, people can just take your name and just throw it around in the mud <laughs> online. And it, and it could become like, you know, I was talking to you about um, what's happening in India, you know, my last column, you know, I've had people wrote, wrote, write to me and say I'm a bad journalist because I'm not reporting the truth because I'm writing false statements about what's happening in India. So, and I've had my name put on, you know, blog posts saying that I'm just, uh, you know, a fake reporter and I'm not putting out the facts. So you are fighting up against a big force of people who don't want to believe the facts. And that's, it's a very dangerous thing, but it's very alive and it's very much out there. Oh, yes. And uh, so let's uh, take a moment here to, to consider the irony of everything you just said and what's at uh, uh, stake here uh, with this particular issue. Uh, so the critics of this article, follow me in this, Romana, uh, uh, Fox talking heads, uh, MAGA politicians, the attorney general of the state of Ohio, whose duty is uh, to enforce the law, presumably in cases protecting uh, women against rape. Uh, they are bashing 
the Indianapolis uh, paper for having just one source. Suddenly they're uh, uh, journalist advocates uh, who subscribe to the two source theory that you cannot write any story unless you have two sources. That's the theory that I first heard when I saw all the president's men or read the book. Uh, And they needed two sources on every single thing that they put in the paper. Uh, So suddenly uh, the MAGA is taking a strong stand for journalistic integrity. This is the same MAGA that just had an insurrection at the Capitol to overturn the election uh, based on lies. (laughs) I'm like, they had one more credible source for that Indianapolis Star story about the 10-year-old than all MAGA has in their accusations of Joe Biden having stolen the election. There's not one credible source. And yet, Romana, MAGA uh, is changing election laws throughout the country, uh, justifies uh, an attempted coup uh, at the White House, and is getting ready to run Donald Trump again. And I'm like, meanwhile, the Sun-Times has to vet letters. They got report, they got editors spending their time vetting letters to make their accurate. Ramana, they're taking the tools that we as civilized people adopt and they're using it against us. They're weaponizing them against us. Well, I was going to say, this is the same group of people who wants to do their own research when it comes to vaccines, even though they're not scientists. So it's like they want to do they want to do everybody's work. All of a sudden, they're multitaskers and have, you know, skills that we don't have. So they want to do our jobs, you know. They're not, we're not telling them the truth, so they need to do, tell the truth. Scientists aren't telling them truth, so they got to go and t- into their labs inside their house and do some research on how effective vaccines are. And, you know, and, and they use each other as their sources. They use their neighbors or their, you know, uncle as their sources. So so I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's ironic. And then, then they also use the terminology um, of the uh, left or of, you know, People who oppose them politically, I mean, that was the whole thing, you know, with, with um, abortion. Anybody who um, anybody who's against the vaccine, they kept saying, my body, my choice, which is what people who um, are pro-choice say all the time. So they do, they, they do use, and I've seen this happen with a lot of people who have um, right-wing ideology. They take the language and the strategy a lot of people on the opposing side take and turn it around and try to make it sound legitimate. Yeah. Well, here I'm struggling with this uh, point and this will be the final point in this because I really am struggling with this one. Uh, so as trained, uh, well, I, journalists, people who uh, work at this craft get paid for it. Uh, we're supposed to abide by certain uh, standards. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Twitter is supposed to be free for everybody, regardless of whether they ab- abide by any standards. There are laws right now that MAGA is advancing uh, in several states. I told you I'd send you the article and I forgot to, I apologize. But uh, there are laws that MAGA uh, politicians are proposing in many states that would make it illegal for uh, Twitter and other se- social media outlets to ban people uh, for posting things that are just flat out false. Uh, so I'm like, which way is it? You know, I mean, are they're going to chastise the Indianapolis Star 
for only having one source and are going to advance uh, laws that say people are free to spread any lie they want on Twitter, but the Indianapolis Star has to abide by rules. The Chicago Sun-Times letters to the editor editor page has to abide by rules, but Twitter doesn't. Ramana, help me with this. I'm struggling with this. I don't get it. If, if, if There either are rules for everybody or there are only rules for the other side, and MAGA has no rules. They can do whatever they want. There, there are rules for everyone, and I'm probably, like, even people on the left, I mean, there are people on the left who sometimes, you know, kind of take it upon themselves saying that journalists aren't doing their jobs, and then, you know, they write something up, and I'm like, it's full of factual errors, too, and, you know, I might agree with them politically, but I'm, I'm, I think the standards should apply to everyone. You know, some people feel like, oh, anybody can do a job that a journalist does. And, you know, maybe some people can, I, I, you know, I don't want to say that I'm like the most skilled journalist in the world, but some people think it's really easy. And then it's really easy to sit down and write. And, you know, I remember there was a point where people are like, Oh, why do we need journalists? And we have people who blog and yeah, yeah. I'm, it's great that people can blog. I'm glad people can have their voices out there. Cause I do think it's important to have different voices out there. But I'm sorry, a lot of bloggers aren't necessarily journalists. And I think that's one thing you do have to remember that journalists do have to have a certain set of skills. And this is something that I've actually argued about in the newsroom. You know, a lot of people think that if someone has a lot of social media followers and they're like, you know, have a lot of followers on Twitter, that they're going to be a great asset to the Sun-Times team or a newspaper team. And that's the way a lot of people think. They're like, oh, people are going to read everything they have. But I don't think that's really a healthy way to look at things. It, it could be a plus. It could be a silver lining. But if someone doesn't know how to report or write, I don't think they could be a good journalist. That's just my personal opinion. I know some people probably think differently and think that, you know, just tweeting is all you need to do to be a good reporter. But I don't I don't agree with that. That's just my opinion. And I'm sure a lot of people disagree, but I, I don't I don't think that's a good strategy. And I, I and I, that's one thing I do tell a lot of younger reporters. I'm like, yeah, journalism has changed. But the basic skills of reporting and writing, they're still the same as they were many, many years ago. Well, apparently MAGA wants all those basic uh, skills and standards to apply only to uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and not to them, only to Indianapolis Star, and not to them. Uh, it's a battle over truth, ladies and gentlemen. You might as well wake up and accept that. All right, let's close with a little something that's not so gloomy and doomy. Uh, Ramana's recommendations. Uh, I know um, I've been watching shows that, <laughs> this is embarrassing, that make me feel good because it's such a uh, stressful time. Uh, so what are you watching these days, Romana? Are you watching shows that make you feel good? Or are you saying, to hell with that, wimp? I'm taking the plunge in any old thing. What are you watching these days? Well, I watched two things um, this week. I watched, I finished up Stranger Things, which had its second part of its fourth season, I believe, came out like earlier in July. So um, I watched that. Um, some of it completely makes no sense, but it's still entertaining. So I finished that. I'm sure you haven't watched it. Um, I watched Pachinko finally. I don't know if he started the book, but Mick told me that um, he didn't want to watch the show after reading the book. He, he liked the book, but he didn't like it as much as me. He thought it was too sad. Um, and so I watched that by myself, which was fine because I was able to go zip through it without him. And uh, the other show that I did watch with Mick um, was David Simon's um, latest show, 
called We Own the City, which is about Baltimore police and um, a corruption case that didn't happen too long ago. And that was good, but it was also very depressing to watch because (laughs) this isn't too long ago. And, you know, the problems within the police department that they're showing are all too real and just really um, stark and just very telling about the kind of country that we live in. I, I, I think you should watch it. It's on HBO Max. I think you'll like it. Um, I was telling Mick, because he, he watches less TV than I do. Um, so the lead guy who plays um, this main cop that's being investigated, he was in The Walking Dead in the in the first couple seasons. He, he also played a cop in Walking Dead, but he was a nicer cop in that. Mm. Uh, the Walking Dead, you were the one who alerted me to that show. I still haven't seen it. I think one of the stars is going to be a nope the Jordan uh, Poole movie that's yeah. coming out. I, so, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, someone like you or Mick does not know, um, a lot of the people that were on The Walking Dead were actually people from The Wire. There was a lot of, um, when I started watching, it's it's a little less now, but the first couple of seasons, if you watch The Walking Dead, and there's still one character that was from The Wire that's still on the show. The show isn't as good as it was. We all make fun of, my, Mick makes fun of me because I still watch it and I complain about watching it. But I'm like, well, now I want to know what happens. You know, there's only one, one more season left or half of the season left. Um, but I think there's a lot of like, I think the same, I think people who worked on the shows either worked on the wire or they, um, some, they worked with David Simon for sure. Because when you watch walking dead, there was a, in the first two seasons, there was at least four or five characters that I recognized from the wire. And, and, and it was interesting that this actor, John Bernthal was also in David Simon's latest. And so, um, it, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good show. I think you would like it. I'm surprised that there's been no, I was telling Mick cause you know, the wire was such a hit and everybody likes um, anything that David Simon produces. I just felt like there was less of a buzz with this show. Cause I hadn't even heard of it when Mick suggested that we watch it. Yeah. I, uh, I can't explain that, uh, but it seems like th- uh, the wire was a phenomenon of the early part of the century, uh, which has been largely forgotten. All right, I, I must address something when we close. Uh, I, I watched every episode of Ted Lasso, finally caught up, and I have to tell you, I have a confession to make. That's one of those shows that, uh, in my humble opinion, it's just me speaking, declines uh, as time goes on. They run out of things uh, to write about, so they start uh, coming up with melodramatic soap opera plot twists just to keep the thing going. Uh, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry, yelling at the TV. Uh, so, you know, I just was disappointed with Ted Lasso. A confession to make. I know I'm going to get kicked out of it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, ultimately, I was disappointed uh, with Ted Lasso. That said, I probably will watch the third season because you know i i wasn't as like stranger things when it was all said and that i said i am never going to watch another episode of this show it's just a waste of time but ted lasso was at least sweet Uh, yeah yeah i i like ted lasso a lot and mick liked it too but yeah that's one of you're you're very unpopular like saying you don't like ted lasso people probably think you have no heart but um, but I, I know you do. And, the, and it's just a matter of taste. It could be like I could see people thinking it's a little too sappy and a little too like, you know, wow. No, I, but, I, I'm saying that when, when you I could, I've watched so many of these shows since the pandemic that I could tell when the writers have run out of material. 
And they're just like, you talk about you won't write the same column more than once. So they just start doing all the tricks. That all right, we're going to have this love interest and that love interest. Then she's going to get sad because he leaves. So we're going to spend a minute watching her walk through the park looking sad while they play some song. I'm like, okay, you guys ran out of plot line material. That's You're just stretching what you got. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. You can tell that happens. I mean, that's happened with The Walking Dead. I think the thing with Stranger Things, at least for you, is because... I don't know. I was talking to my nephews and nieces who watch the show too, and they love it. And I thought they wouldn't because I thought it would be too eighties for them. Like for people like me, that's like, this is like, they're targeting Gen Xers. Like they're targeting people like me um, who, who grew up in that era and remember all that stuff. And so I was telling my nephews, I'm like, how do you guys like this? Like don't some of the terms and like, you know, some of the conversations, like, don't they seem too 80s and dated for you? But they're like, no, we still like it. And I don't know if you heard about Kate Bush's song, Running Up the Hill. Like, it it went back on the charts again. It's it, it, And then it was really funny. Things. Yeah, and so, yeah, because of because Stranger Things. Like, her song got a revival, and it was, like, the number one song on Spotify, I think, or at least up there. Mick and I went to a Cubs game a few days ago, and then they were playing Running Up the Hill between innings. And so it's like that song has gotten – it's like it's funny how that song has gotten, like, a new life, and – I was so in the latest episodes, they play a Metallica song. And I think Metallica was all excited because their song was played. But I was like thinking to myself, no offense, but your song is less melodic. It's not going to get the same traction as running up the hill did. So I could see you not liking Stranger Things because some of it does not make sense at all. I'm so no, confused. here's the thing about Stranger Things. So here, okay. So again, they ran out of material. They didn't know what to do. They lost a plot line. So un- so instead of having somebody, although they do have a little, instead of having somebody just walking through the fields, just in thought with the music playing, well, we're stretched this out. Uh, what they do is have a monster fight. So, all right, we got 10 minutes in a mall. The monster will attack the mall. So we'll have a monster fight for 10. That's 10 minutes, uh, guys. And then they have the creative department make a monster fight. And I'm like, okay. Strat, man, what happened to creative exchanges of dialogue? You know what I'm saying? You know, clever repartee. God, how I sound old. Ben, you're old. Oh, all right. We got to close with this one. I, I, I raised the subject with Mick, but I must close with you because it gives a big smile to my face. I'm going to write about this for my newsletter. Uh, and I sent you the story about the, the two uh, geezer Congress people in New York been uh, put in the same district and are running against each other. Uh, for Congress, and there's this young, upstart, ambitious uh, man running against them and saying, it's time for my generation to take over. And it was a very compelling story, I thought, about politics, generational politics. Uh, Maybe it is time that boomers pass the torch. So they get to the end of the... (laughs) They go, come on, folks. You can't make this stuff up. They get to the end of the story, and they're interviewing this really that like energetic, bright millennial. She's, I think, 30-something years old. And she says, yes, the boomers, they just run out of gas. They have no solutions. We got to, it's time for a change. We need new ideas. The guy says, are you going to vote? And she goes, oh, yeah. But she didn't realize, Romana, that there was even an election, okay, coming up until the reporter told her. Now, come on, Romana. I'm with them criticizing ripping baby boomers for being past their time. But don't you at least have to know that there's an election coming up before you can make, what, a cogent comment on which candidate you're going to vote for? Please explain that one to me. Or When I mentioned that to Mick, he said I was voter shaming. 
So shame on you. (laughs) Well, I, well, first of all, that young man was Indian American. Do you notice that he was an Indian kid? Patel. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so good for him. First of all, um, we're taking over. Um, (laughs) And I do, I do like the fact I do want boomers to like lose power at some point. I mean, they, they, you guys have been like hanging on where Gen Xers don't even get a chance. I mean, that is my biggest complaint with boomers. It's like, Everywhere you go, like even in even in my like mosque, the boomers don't they've never wanted to let go. They still call us children, you know, and like we're all middle aged. Like me and my friends are like, oh, yeah, you guys are the youth. I'm like, we're not that youthful anymore. <laughs> you know, but um, but anyway, um, I thought it was a pretty I thought it was pretty funny at the end when um, the young woman said that she was going to vote and had to be told. <laughs> I don't think that's vote shaming. I vote shame. I, I, I actually have yelled at my friends who told me that they didn't vote and, and then they were complaining about something. And, I, and, I, and I'm also one of those people who doesn't think that voting is going to change everything either. Cause I know some people who are like, you know, Democrats are like, well, just vote. And I'm like, that doesn't solve everything, you know, but I do think voting is very important. I'm someone who was raised, well, as soon as I turned 18, my dad, um, me and my siblings, as soon as we turned 18, the first thing my dad told us to do was go register to vote. And he made sure we registered and vote as soon as we turned 18. So that is something I do. And I have I have shamed my friends. I don't shame like strangers, but if I find out my close family and friends, and usually it's not my family because my family usually votes, my immediate family votes. But if I find out a friend um, hadn't vote, voted, um, I do shame them. Yeah. Sorry. Well, uh, you know, I'm with you and there's a, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know uh, if you're going to rip, uh, uh, the old generation, at least know that there's an election coming up, like within two weeks. Okay. It's, if you're going to weigh in on the election, at least know there's an election. I don't yeah. Know. That's one thing. I guess that's one thing old, older boomers do do is vote. I mean, ever since, I mean, ever since I was young, there was like this whole campaign. It was called rock the vote where they had rock stars, like telling us to vote, like the young people to vote. And then it turned out none of those rock stars were voting themselves. So <laughs> this is this has been a problem for a long time, getting young people yeah. to vote. I always tell the young people in my life, my nieces and nephews, and my my the, my two nieces and nephews, my niece and nephew, my nieces and nephews who can vote do vote. So I have to say, I do have to give them props for that. And I'm going to keep telling them to do that, even if yeah. um, I'm old and lecturing them i will tell them i got my know. eye on that young patel uh in new york <laughs> yeah because it's uh it, it's too uh, well they're not even they're older than boomers uh, uh nadler congressman nadler and congresswoman uh, maloney carol maloney are were redistricted into the same district so i think they're both beyond boomer age they're up there uh put it mildly and uh so if they split the uh the old boomer vote this kid patel could sneak in so i got my eye i'm watching him uh, you know, so a little new blood can't hurt the Democratic Party. Uh, and he seems like a very uh, progressive guy. So I got my eye on old Patel. But if he's dependent on that millennial vote, oh, <laughs> and they don't even know there's an election coming, it's hard to win if your supporters don't that realize is, they have is, to vote. That is true. That is true. I do feel like the Democrats need new blood. Um, Absolutely. They need Absolutely. to punch it up. Absolutely.